Hello and welcome to the MedEd Podcast, a free audio lecture series that reviews high-yield medical topics frequently seen on the boards and throughout your career in medicine. Your success is our mission. Hey everyone, this is Will, currently a third-year medical student at the University of Nevada Reno School of Medicine. You may have noticed that my episode title is different from past episodes, and that is because I'm putting my pharmacology lectures on hold to focus specifically on things you need to know for your exams. I'm talking to you, second-year class. For now, I'm going to follow along with the second-year curriculum here at UNR and provide lectures that will help you ace your exams. This format is going to be different. We're going to go along in a systems approach and go through differentials based on an illness script. I'll break down what the answers will usually be and how test makers can change the question slightly to give you a different answer. Today, we'll be covering pneumonia. Before that, let's define some terms. What is an illness script? An illness script is kind of what it sounds like. It's the story the patient brings in and makes you think of a particular diagnosis. It's the script you have in your head that shouts a disease at you. A 23-year-old female with an elevated creatinine, low cell counts, diffuse inflammatory symptoms, and a butterfly rash on her face, that's the illness script of systemic lupus erythematosus, aka lupus. What is a differential? A differential diagnosis is a list of diseases that have overlapping illness scripts. We'll ask questions and run tests to better separate the diseases in our differential to eventually decide on our diagnosis. So I'm going to say a lot of things in this episode that are rules of thumb, and that means that they are usually correct, but not guaranteed to be correct. You'll have to use critical thinking on all of the questions, make sure you collect all of the data from the vignette before selecting an answer choice, but the vignettes will likely match these illness scripts. Furthermore, this information is most correct on an exam, but may or may not match up with what you see in real life in the clinic. Great. So let's move on to pneumonia. So what is pneumonia going to look like when it walks into your office generally? Well, typically you'll see an elderly patient, though they may be any age, but especially a smoker, in moderate distress with a fever, dyspnea, and cough productive of thick yellow or green sputum. Vitals will likely show low O2 sats, tachypnea, and tachycardia as well, Physical exam reveals a crackling sound in the lungs, possibly some dullness to percussion over a specific area of the lungs, and increased tactile fremitus over that same area. For the test, they'll probably order a CBC, a chest x-ray, and a sputum culture, and you will have to interpret those results. But for pneumonia, you'll probably see leukocytosis on CBC, lung opacities on chest x-ray, and sputum culture should be obvious. So what bug caused this pneumonia? Streptococcus pneumoniae, or strep pneumo, is always the default answer for pneumonia, almost regardless of age, unless it is not one of the answer choices. Then the answer is probably Haemophilus influenzae, or H-flu. And if it is not H-flu, then it is Moraxella catarrhalis. These bugs are so common and their presentation so similar that we call them the typical pneumonias. You shouldn't have to differentiate between these unless they give you something obvious. H-flu, for example, will show a thumbprint sign on laryngeal x-ray, which is an inflamed epiglottis. How do we treat these bugs? Cephalosporins, especially a third generation like ceftriaxone, is a favorite, and it covers all three bugs listed above. 
Frequently, you'll see another medication thrown in when treating pneumonia. Do you know what that is? We'll use a macrolide, especially azithromycin, to cover another set of organisms that frequently cause pneumonia. What are these organisms? Mycoplasma pneumoniae, Legionella pneumophila, and Chlamydophila pneumoniae. Since these aren't part of the typical causes of pneumonia, we call these atypical pneumonia. They also have atypical symptoms, so instead of someone coming in looking really sick, coughing up sputum everywhere with large consolidations in their lungs on chest x-ray, an atypical pneumonia may appear fairly mild with a persistent non-productive cough and a chest x-ray that shows diffuse patchy interstitial infiltrates, hence why atypical pneumonias are also called walking pneumonias. Atypical pneumonias can look an awful lot like viral pneumonias, actually, because viral pneumonia tends to not be as severe as bacterial pneumonia and will have a diffuse patchy or interstitial pattern on chest x-ray. Unless they come right out uh, on the test and say sputum cultures were negative, they'll usually give you a CBC. And what do you expect to see different on a CBC between viral and bacterial pneumonia? Typically, you'll see a pretty pronounced leukocytosis in bacterial pneumonia and usually normal to slightly elevated leukocyte counts in viral pneumonia. Anyway, each of the atypical organisms have some quirks that test makers love to talk about. What will the patient with an atypical pneumonia of unknown etiology have that will make you think of mycoplasma pneumoniae? Mycoplasma can cause cold IgM agglutinins. Upon exposure to cold temperatures, a person with cold agglutinins will experience hemolytic anemia, as well as microvascular ischemia from the immune complexes. This will look similar to Raynaud's, with blue painful digits, but of course will have been preceded by a respiratory infection. What should make you think of Legionella infection, or Legionnaire's disease? Legionnaires will have distinct gastrointestinal and neurologic symptoms, like headache and diarrhea. Hyponatremia is also a unique and frequently tested symptom of Legionnaire's. Also, this person usually doesn't have sick contacts, but stayed indoors and got infected from contaminated water being blown in through the air conditioning. Legionella also causes a much weaker version of Legionnaire's disease called Pontiac fever. Chlamydophila pneumoniae is actually the most difficult to diagnose, and you probably won't be asked to differentiate it. It does share some traits with its cousin that causes the STI chlamydia trichomatis in regards to its life cycle. So how would that help you differentiate? Well, because this family of bacteria are obligate intracellular bacteria, you'll see nothing on gram stain. They might show you some cells containing heaps of reticular bodies. Then the answer should be obvious. It also has another cousin, Chlamydophila sataki, which is well known for what? A pneumonitis or pneumonia that is specific to bird handlers. Classically, this is a person with a parrot or that works at a pet store that comes in with signs and symptoms of pneumonia. Alright, so what if the patient is a newborn baby with respiratory symptoms, like cyanosis and crackles, and the mother had no prenatal care? Maybe this baby also has bulging fontanelle. What is the diagnosis? Group B strep or strep agalactiae. Of note, pretty much anything that causes pneumonia in a baby can also cause meningitis, hence the bulging fontanelle. What would have prevented this infection? testing for it at about 37 weeks gestation, and if positive, giving intrapartum IV antibiotics, especially beta-lactams like penicillin or ampicillin. 
All right, what if mom was group B strep negative? Then what is a potential cause of the newborn's pneumonia that they got from mom? E. coli. I think this answer is unlikely, though. Mostly you'll want to associate newborn pneumonia with group B strep. What if the mother had multiple sexual partners prior to the birth of the baby? Well, chlamydia can also cause pneumonia in a newborn. All right, so what if instead you have a six-month-old baby, it's during the winter seasons, and the baby has upper respiratory cold-like symptoms along with their pneumonia? What is the diagnosis? RSV, or respiratory syncytial virus. What is the prophylaxis for very high-risk infants? Palivizumab. What is the treatment for RSV? It's supportive because it goes away on its own. Unless it's severe, then you're going to use ribavirin. So the general rule of thumb is neonate is strep B. Infant is RSV. Everyone else is strep pneumo. What if you get a kid with respiratory symptoms, but they also have this loud cough and it sounds kind of like a bark? And on an x-ray, you see that their larynx is swollen nearly shut. What caused this? Parainfluenza virus. This disease is called croup. What if your patient has cystic fibrosis and comes in with acute respiratory symptoms? Then what bug do you think caused it? Pseudomonas. What's the treatment for pseudomonas? You can use aminoglycosides, um, piperacillin, tazobactam, fluoroquinolones, and a few select others. What if the person is HIV positive, or they have an immunodeficiency, or they are organ transplant recipients? What bug do you think they have if they have pneumonia? Pneumocystis gyrovechi will be your answer, confirmed with bronchoalveolar lavage and silver stain. They may also show you a CT with a ground glass appearance. What's the treatment? Trimethoprim and sulfamethoxazole, or Bactrim. What if pneumocystis is ruled out or it is not an answer choice? Then pick CMV, or cytomegalovirus. They will likely show you a slide with cells that have owl eye inclusions. So what's the treatment for CMV? Gancyclovir? or oral valgancyclovir. Or you can try foscarnet. If they fail these treatments, you can try sidofovir, but co-administer probenicid to protect the kidneys. If the patient also has meningitis, or they show you some really weird lab they did, your answer is probably cryptococcus neoformans. So labs like an Indian ink stain or something like that. What if the patient is an alcoholic or heroin addict that passed out, vomited, then came to the ER after aspirating that vomit? What is the organism? Most likely, Klebsiella. If they say thick red sputum or come right out and use the buzzword current jelly sputum, they're begging you to pick Klebsiella. You can also expect other enteric bacteria or oral bacteria, so look out for those if Klebsiella is not an option. Because these patients usually aspirate while supine, you'll frequently see consolidation in the upper lobes rather than the lower ones. What about a pneumonia they get in the hospital? I'd be thinking of similar organisms to aspiration pneumonia, so organisms like gram-negative rods, but I would not pick one of them until I had ruled out MRSA, because that is a test favorite for nosocomial pneumonia. 
What about a patient that had mild upper respiratory symptoms that resolved, but then they come back with full-blown pneumonia? Staph aureus is probably the answer on the test, but know that the typical pneumonias can also be seen post-viral. All right, finally, we have the fungal causes of pneumonia that affect people that are not necessarily immunocompromised. These people will say they were in a specific place, like South America, Mexico, or Central Eastern U.S. So, you have coccidioides. Where are these people from? Maybe Mexico or the American Southwest. Uh, frequently, they'll mention an earthquake uh, that happened right before they got sick. How about uh, paracoccidioides? That's South America. These fungi are much larger than red blood cells, and they kind of look like a pirate ship steering wheel. How about histoplasma capsulatum? These are in the eastern U.S., and this is the only one that you'll find intracellularly. Okay, how about uh, blastomyces? This is also in the eastern U.S. You'll see a blasted-out appearance of the lungs on chest x-ray, uh, it also usually appears on microscopy as a ball with a smaller ball budding off of it. Treatment for all of these is usually amphotericin B, and maybe also fluconazole or one of the azoles if amphotericin isn't an answer choice. So, a quick recap. Patient walks in with signs of typical pneumonia, you pick strep pneumo. If they show you a laryngeal x-ray with a thumbprint sign, or strep pneumo isn't an option, you pick H-flu instead. If neither are an option, pick Moraxella. If instead the patient shows signs and symptoms of an atypical pneumonia, look for something special in the history to differentiate between Legionella, Mycoplasma, and Chlamydophila. They'll be obviously different on your exam. If your patient is an infant, and especially if it is during the winter season, the patient has RSV. If your patient is young, and has a loud barking cough, and you get a laryngeal x-ray showing steeple sign, you pick parainfluenza. If your patient is a newborn baby, and mom had poor prenatal care, and especially if the baby has signs and symptoms of meningitis, you pick group B strep. If you have a similar situation, but you've ruled out everything else, pick E. coli. Don't forget about chlamydia as an option. Pneumonia in a cystic fibrosis patient is pseudomonas. Pneumonia in an AIDS or otherwise immunocompromised patient is pneumocystis gyrovechi, until proven otherwise. Then it is probably CMV. Cryptococcus neoformans is also on the table, though usually with some added labs and unusual stains making it an obvious choice. Aspiration pneumonia due to drugs, alcohol, is Klebsiella, but could be other gut or oral bacteria. Nosocomial pneumonia will be caused by bugs similar to aspiration pneumonia, like Klebsiella, Serratia, and Enterobacter. But test makers seem to disproportionately favor MRSA, or methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, as an answer choice. Post-viral pneumonia is statistically more likely to be one of the typical pneumonias, but again, test makers seem to favor Staph aureus. One thing we didn't talk too much about is viral pneumonia, and that's because it is not a favorite answer. It is traditionally a diagnosis of exclusion, looks very similar to the atypical pneumonias, and it usually resolves without treatment. If they do a PCR, they mention that the patient didn't get their flu shot, sputum cultures are negative, 
or they have normal leukocyte counts, then you can think of viral pneumonia, specifically influenza first, then rhinovirus. One thing you should know is that COPD exacerbation is most frequently a viral etiology. One other thing we didn't discuss is mycobacterium respiratory infections, and that is because they deserve their own episode, and they are quite different from pneumonia, so they'll be easy to differentiate. Mycobacterial infections might show a cachetic patient with hemoptysis and night sweats, and frequently they work in healthcare. And don't forget to consider the various fungal pneumonias. If they give you an image of the fungus or the vignette talks about the patient being from a particular region of the Americas, you should really be thinking fungal pneumonia. Well, that's that. Now you should be able to handle any pneumonia question. Good luck. Thank you for listening to the MedEd Podcast. If you liked what you've heard, please subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. If you found any information to be inaccurate, or you have ideas for future episodes, or you would like to contribute to future podcasts, please email us at mededpodcast at gmail.com. That's mededpodcast, M-E-D-E-D, podcast at gmail.com. The song you heard at the beginning is called May the Chords Be With You by Computer Music All-Stars. The transitions came from a song called Where Was I by Lee Rosevere. The song you're hearing now is called Night Owl by Broke for Free. The MedEd podcast is intended for educational purposes only, and it is not intended to replace proper medical consultation from a trained and licensed professional. The improper diagnosis and treatment of disease can lead to injury and death. Contact a qualified healthcare provider about your health concerns. While we will strive to bring the most correct and up-to-date material, the information presented may not always be accurate and is ultimately your responsibility to verify. The MedEd podcast has no affiliation with the United States Medical Licensing Examination, or USMLE, or any other affiliations for that matter, and the information presented here is not guaranteed to be representative of information presented on any examination or within the context of medical practice. Any opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the creators of said podcast. They do not purport to reflect the opinions of the University of Nevada Reno School of Medicine or the opinions of any other institution with which the creators may be associated.